Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul socially unacceptable totally uninhibited adult themes language so if you're easily offended if you're easily triggered then i highly suggest you turn this off now and if not just keep in mind parental discretion is advised If you are a fan of the old Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell, you are going to absolutely love this episode. If not, you might want to skip it. Just going to tell you right now. But like I said, if you are a fan of the old school Coast to Coast AM, I hope you enjoy this. We talk about UFOs, alien abduction, reptilians, and everything in between. So, like I said, I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances Podcast, and I have a very awesome dude who I've known for a few years, so I'm excited to finally have him on. We're going to be talking about the Hudson Valley UFO incident incidents, however you want to refer to them, because I just started getting into UFOs, so I'm on this train. I'm trying to backtrack and learn about other stuff, and you being from New York, you being a UFO guy, I was like, man, I need to reach out to Brian, see what's up. And a little bit about Brian. He was born and raised in New York. He was going into architectural engineering. He realized that business was definitely the right avenue, you know, even though you love your sciences, as I do as well. But you also studied physics and astronomy while studying finance. And you graduated from Pace University with a degree in international finance with a minor in emerging markets. So Brian would use all of this knowledge, and he began initially working with the International Monetary Fund and World Bank, and this was regarding third world debt problems. You spent your career with a shitload of uh, broker dealers, 
So as a kid, though, Brian experienced some unusual events, which started the curiosity, and it propelled him into becoming a boots-on-the-ground UFO cryptid and paranormal researcher and investigator. And since 1977, he has used his spare time to explore those areas of interest, traveling the world, trying to find the truth, and his experiences in the paranormal realm cover the gambit of the Goblin universe. It covers encounters with Sasquatch, Dogman, Spirits, several UFO experiences. Each has been the driving force in his quest for way more knowledge and hopefully some answers. He was the first draft pick for essential members of the team and joined the Bronxville Paranormal Society at its inception. He took the helm as chief information technology officer and the director. He has brought an entirely fresh perspective and process to the paranormal field and investigations. Brian is also the creator, producer, and co-host of the critically acclaimed Beyond the Realm radio show. Uh, he is a published author, musician, and artist. He left his career on Wall Street to start a think tank and pursue business development on a global scale. Brian has been a speaker and presenter at many paranormal cryptid conferences throughout the United States. He started the Paranormal Center and uh, is a former member of the board for the Pine Bush UFO Festival and Conference. He has conducted several successful CE5 events, all of which have brought contact to many who have attended. Brian is currently a member of IRVA, which is the International Remote Viewers Association. He's the founder and director of both New York State UFO Project and New York State Sasquatch Association the director of North American Dogman Project, New York State Chapter, and is the North American correspondent for Outer Limits Magazine. He is the co-host of Inside the Goblin Universe, which is a radio show with Ronald Murphy, and host of Nobo Boomi, which uh, I've actually been on, and that stands for Nobody But Me. And he's had several appearances on Dave Scott's Spaced Out Radio and also has appeared in numerous newspaper articles, independent films, television series, and a variety of top-tier podcasts, finally including this one. <laughs> Brian recently signed with Corridor 13 Talent Management, which is now handling his public appearances and uh, bookings in the in the future. He has appeared in Seasons of Red Earth Uncovered, which is a Canadian series that will begin airing in the USA in 2021 this year. And he has also appeared on Into the Unknown, a new paranormal series on the Travel Channel hosted by Cliff Simon. He filmed for the upcoming UFO documentary, Star Children of Pine, New York, and just finished filming for a two-hour UFO special for the Travel Channel and Discovery Plus, which has been released. And Brian is working on a new series of books based on his experiences, investigations, and theories, as well as a few children's books and short stories. His latest publication, Words and Muses, A Lyrical Life of Poetry, is on sale at Amazon.com. He is currently developing new intellectual property for both television and big screen as well as scheduling investigations, conferences, and events for the year ahead. And for those of you who want to check out all of these links, they will be posted in the episode description. And Brian, I feel like I have not accomplished anything in my life after reading <laughs> that, dude. 
Yeah. I, I, <laughs> let me tell you something. My, my buddy, Al Santorini, who, who we started the, you know, all these different little groups with, he's like, oh, you added another paragraph. And I'm like, I just try to keep updating of what I did. I, I was looking for a bio. I can't give you a paragraph. I'm, ne <laughs> I'm never like that. It's not a show off thing. I just want to show the process of where this all has gone to, you know. Um, how my life has sunk into the rabbit hole, and, and now I make my uh, my living, you know, <laughs> and and my accommodations there. <laughs> there is a method to the madness. <laughs> so yeah, no, it it sounds better than it is. Um, I'd like to meet this person one day, <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's <laughs> it's been a lifelong, you know, it's a lifelong quest. Um, especially when you're, you know, when you're a science person and you like science and different sciences, and then you know, and you also love history, it, it kind of, they lend themselves to each other, believe it or not. And it's just, this is how I approach everything. I, you know, I yeah. try to give it, I'm, I'm not a scientist, mind you. I'm not a, a doctorate of anything, but I try to, when we do an investigation on any subject, I try, to, I take everything, the left and the right side of the spectrum into play. And then I try to say, okay, what are my hypothesis for these things? Mm -hmm. And then, what can I replicate? Because in science, if you could replicate it, then you could prove it. So it's, it becomes more scientific. Um, other than that, it's just you just keep going and going, and you have to stop every once in a while, reassess you know, that hypothesis or put things on the back burner until something else comes in. And that's where the podcasting stuff, you know, when I started talking with people, I was actually helping out uh, some of these people that are very well-known mm -hmm. that, you know, we've seen on TV for years and now I'm friends with, and they were not thinking in the same perspective I was thinking. And when I brought certain things to light for them, um, they were just like, Oh, and it blew them away. And they've come back at me with some things which help answer some of the hypothesis. You know, these questions you have that you keep in the back burner. I'm like, Oh my God, that was what we were looking for. So it all works out in the end um, for the most part. No, I agree. And that's, I'm very, that's why a lot of, uh, when I cover paranormal cases or anything of that nature, my main goal is to try to debunk it. And I get so much shit from the paranormal community for that. But I also have that spectrum of right. people who appreciate it because they're like, oh, okay. Like, because I want to be scared. I want to believe. I want to travel to these different locations. I want to experience it myself. And, you know, some people just like telling scary stories and, hey, that's cool, man. You know, right. do your thing. But, like, I want to get down to the bottom of it. And, you know, some people like right. it. Some people don't. Like, right now, uh, actually, I'm going to be editing the Watsika Wonder, and it ended up being about two hours long because I dug up all the psychological evaluations and stuff like that. And, you know, probably going to disappoint a few people, but... It is what yep. it is, but there's also still some things that can't be explained, you know, which is interesting. If all parties right. were telling it, the it, truth, that it's, is. Um, it's very interesting because um, so many things have been rooted in that, that lore, you know. When you kind of upset the apple cart, it, you're not doing it intentionally uh, to do that. Yeah. You're just having new evidence comes forward, and you're putting one and you know one and two together to get a new new you know sample absolutely and that's important 
your research is so well done and you, the way you are an analytical thinker and how you put things together and you follow up. This is why, you know, you get accolades left and right. I, I'm, I'm amazed at what you do. But this is the problem with most people. Some people just don't no, Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to know. I mean, it's not like, you know, telling everybody, you know, Darth Vader's Luke's father. I mean, that's that could be critical to some people. <laughs> yeah, I remember that happening sure. once. But it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill you. you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of, no, it's true. Um, though. But yeah, you know, I mean, people just get bugged out, but it has to be done at times. Mm-hmm. It does, man. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about the Hudson Valley, and, and I technically live in the Hudson Valley because I live right on the Hudson River. I live in New York City yes. uh, off the river there. But I grew up always, you know, I watched In Search Of. That's, oh, yes. that's where I was getting my name. Yes. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, Spock in a turtleneck. Hell yeah. About Bigfoot. <laughs> yep. yeah. You know, like a really bad turtleneck, you know, like this white Fisher sweater, you know. <laughs> so I was always into those type of programs, and there were few and far in between. And there were even fewer books on the subject. It was always the same pictures, same stuff, nothing really new. And anything new that would come out was just gobbled up, you know? Oh, yeah. So I grew up always looking at the stars and saying, like, you know, I have this feeling of, like, I need to be up there for some reason and meeting aliens and what it would be like, you know, the cool side of it. As a kid, you're thinking, like, oh, it'd be cool. You're traveling in a spaceship and, you, you know, you go to this place or that place or in the movie The Last Starfighter, right? Yeah. Where, you know, you save a whole galaxy from, you know, some galactic horde type of stuff. But as I researched it and you start getting into it, it isn't glorious, uh, it isn't like fun, and it can be very downright scary for what's going on. Yeah. And I can get into that too. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of people have they, have, they fantasize about a lot of these things, and it's a lot more serious than it is, and you'll be surprised what's taking place. But I remember the Hudson Valley. I remember what was going on there. I remember being on the news. I saw the news reports, the craft, these large boomerang craft that were flying over Route 84 up in the Hudson Valley and heading from like Western New York into Connecticut. Were people freaking out or what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, people were seeing these. You're talking about a ginormous type of like bigger than a B-1 bomber, bigger than the stealth bomber. You know, things size of football stadiums just drifting over overhead in the sky with the lights on. Some were a delta shape. Some were just, a you know, the general boomerang shape. Different colored craft, you know, like different colored lighting on it and just floating. You can't not look at it. It's kind of if you have ever been to a football game where you're seeing like a blimp go by, mm-hmm. you got to notice it. It's huge. These craft were seen by many people of different backgrounds from your, you know, young children all the way up to seniors. And we're talking about law enforcement, which their word on the stand is gold. Mm-hmm. And there, there were reports left and right. Some people, of course, always started, oh, it's the military. Of course. You yeah. know, but the military wasn't given anything. And it was like nothing anybody's ever seen before. So when, when did this happen and what was the time frame? Well, this was like early 80s. This okay. was in the 80s. And I forgot exactly the um, year, but it was throughout a, a bunch of years in the 80s. And, yeah. you know, we're talking like 84, roughly. Yeah. And it was just the, all these cops are just freaking out about it. People are listening to CBs and they're coming out to see it in roadways. 
There was one that's closer to me, but I never got the chance to see it. We have a large hospital in Westchester County called Westchester Medical. Okay. There was this one witness of this 80s type of, you know, blitz with UFOs, different type of UFOs. She literally was driving to work at the hospital. She was a nurse. And she comes off to Connick Springbrook Parkway. And as she's driving, you know, most people aren't really, you know, they're paying attention to getting themselves situated and get into work for the, you know, the first time. And she looks in front of her and she sees this at least mile-long, ginormous craft that is hovering over the hospital at this point. And she just starts driving to it, and she gets out of her car, and she's looking at this thing. And people come out, and they're looking at it, and it's not making a sound. Not one sound. And then not too long, either before or after, I forgot which one it was, because it it is the 80s. It's been a long time, folks. There are witnesses that see it near a reservoir that borders that, that roadway, the Sprain Reservoir. And they watch this craft hovering over the water and literally grabbing water from it and, you know, interacting with the water that's there, pulling up liquid, be it water or whatever else they're getting out of it, and then just taking off and disappearing. And these reports are coming in, like, all the time. This is when people actually called 911 for help. Yeah. Like, I got a UFO here. There's a strange craft here. <laughs> yeah. And between New York State and Connecticut, I think the state troopers are being pulled left and right. But, you know, what's interesting about this, it wasn't just that the, the crafts that were flying overhead, it was the interactions that people were having. Yes. Not even really, you know, right on like the Route 84 corridor. It was off Route 84. Now, something that people should understand is I was just in Pine Bush, New York for the Pine Bush UFO Festival and Conference. And I represented the New York State UFO Project with my partner in crime who helped co-found it with me, uh, Al Sanriga. And what's interesting about Pine Bush is it's listed as the East Coast Roswell. I mean, it is, it's the UFO capital of the East Coast. They have more sightings in this town than most other towns around the, uh, on the East Coast. They don't know exactly why, but there's a lot of theory around it. Now, one of the theories that they came up is the first collider that, you know, this, that, you know, where we're smashing, you know, atoms together was supposed to be in that area. Mm. Another part of that area is it has high intense magnetic anomalies that are off the chart that you should not have and high quartz content. Now, quartz can be used to store two things information like a, like a computer right quartz is crystal yeah and also energy so it becomes a battery it's almost like the ultimate tesla port you know plug yeah. your car in so they're thinking it may have to do with that they're also thinking that they're because of reports of seeing craft coming out of certain caves in, in certain lakes in that area that there may have been an underground base of UFOs and extraterrestrial. So one of the, the more famous aspects of Pine Bush in that, that Hudson Valley area is Whitley Strieber, which we all know is the author of Communion. I just uh, listened to an old episode of Coast to Coast where he was on there, and I just got introduced to him. Very fascinating guy. Right. He's a very interesting guy, and that's where he had his Communion episode. Near the Pine Bush area. You know, 
when when Whitley came out with that book and talking about his abductions and his interactions with extraterrestrials, which are greys, which are the small humanoid-looking thin creatures that have the big black eyes and very little mouth, and they talk using uh, telepathy, people were blown away. There was now something to connect the dots for a lot of people who had the same experience. And that's another reason why I think that book was so successful, because it resonated with people that some way or somehow have had an interaction with these creatures and that it exists. And that really opened, opened a lot of the doorway for what was taking place in the Hudson Valley. It, it was such an intense time. I was so young at that point, fairly young. And I remember seeing these reports on the news, local news channel, ABC, and turning to my dad, who just came home from a very long day at work, and saying, Dad, can we drive up there now and take a look? And he was just had this look, and my dad was a nice guy, but my dad looked at me like, are you out of your mind? You know, <laughs> we're not going anyplace there. You know, I'm going to eat something. I may sit down for a few minutes before I go to sleep. Yeah. You know, so I never had the ability to really investigate these things. But as I got older and when I got a car and you know, whatever, I started going up to the area. Now, there's these UFOs that were invading the Hudson Valley and continue to do so today. They're just better doing it. They're not as forward, I guess mm -hmm. you would say, like not exposing as themselves as much. Right. Well, it, here's here's the thing. When we get into the subject of unidentified flying objects or the new phrase that's in, with the in crowd, unidentified aerial phenomenon, because someone has to put a little twitch on something oh, course, to make more yeah. money somehow. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's unidentified object. Now, back then, we were working on projects um, that were pretty revolutionary in regards to military. They were black budget projects, one of which was the stealth bomber mm -hmm. and the stealth fighter. Uh, and the SSR, what was it, Blackbird, I believe it is. These are super buku, high-tech, military craft, able to skirt radar and silent in propulsion for the most part. Pretty revolutionary. So the thing about these projects being built by a variety of different military contractors, a lot of those contractors do have locations within the Hudson Valley area and the area where these sightings were. So... Some people thinking maybe some of this was military-based. But the way that the crafts were acting and at the speeds of which they accelerated and decelerated and the, the extreme degree of angle maneuvers, like 90 degrees in an instant, we don't have anything that I know of or anybody knew of that back then that would allow us to create that kind of technology and have, I guess, personnel survive an instant 90 degree turn at speed of light. It's yeah. just not going to happen. Exactly. You, you'd be putty. You'd be, they'd be yeah. scraping you <laughs> off the walls. Yeah. So, so, you know, it'd be like, what happened to Bob? Oh, Bob's, Bob's not here. Anymore. He's liquefied. You know, I mean, literally, <laughs> right. He is literally jelly, you know? So I don't think it was that. I think, I think we definitely, you know, if you go want to go back to it, I think we definitely have, we have captured craft, no one's come out and said it, but I'm going to – all signs point to that being true. All signs do point to us trying to reverse engineer things in that genre. And that's why we have some new craft that are out. And when you see things in today's perspective, 2021, and you see like this triangular craft and you're getting a really good look at it, I'm telling you and from my personal research, 
that craft is one of our own, and it's a working model. And there is a craft that's on, there is a, you know, patents for it. It's called the TR-3B, which is a triangular craft, uses technology for propulsion based on magnetics and anti-gravity. And that is rumored to have come from us re-engineering or back-engineering what we've captured. Okay. Then you have what I can consider real extraterrestrial races and beings. And there are hundreds of them. And these individuals or these races have been able to be on this planet undetected for hundreds, if not millions of years, tens of millions of years. So they're not going to be exposed. You know, I, there's no reason for them to expose themselves for the most part uh, initially. But during the 80s, it was, you know, you, you kind of get that, well, we have better technology. We'll yeah. just do what we want to do. We're on a mission to do something. And if they expose themselves, they expose themselves. And I think that's what took place. I think what was going on at that point in time with all these different crafts flying up this Hudson Valley corridor um, and using almost searchlights for stuff, something must have gone down or landed or yeah. crashed, and they were looking for you, their people. And I think that's why... The, it was such a, a low, slow flight pattern, um, lots of lighting, lots of, like, it's almost looked like searchlights being reported in some of these crafts. Like, it would go to a field, and it seemed like it would drop, like, these little red dots, which, in, in my opinion, now would be called uh, drones, mm -hmm. and they would, but intelligent drones, and they would be looking for whatever they're looking for. I don't think it's anything less than maybe uh, a distressed uh, race or, or, or crew member, mm -hmm. and I think it was a race for some time. I don't know if it was one race of, of aliens or multiple races trying to find something. And I'm sure you know we'll get some answers down the line about that. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm curious about some of people's personal interactions because I have read a couple stories. Uh, one of which I can't remember the guy's name, but he was driving down the road. Uh, during one of those incidents and supposedly he claimed an abduction and I know there's several individuals who during this time frame had all reported something of that nature like do we know a number of people personally who had their own experiences like while this was going on well it's 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 very interesting so there are a number of I, I can't give you specific names at this point because it's very interesting how things have changed. Like when you go look up some of your notes, I've known about the Hudson Valley. I've been researching a lot of stuff for the Hudson Valley, but people start going off the radar. And then all of a sudden, when you go to look up in modern day, stuff that you normally had that listed certain names have now been edited, which is very curious why names are being removed from certain cases. But there are people that have had a multitude of different type of interactions and i'll call them abductions yeah there have been several people that have been this is very interesting they'd be coming home late on route 84 heading from new york into connecticut and there was there was one gentleman who's coming back from like a, like a double shift and he was tired and he's driving down 84 he gets a little bit past the danbury area and there's not much on the road at night there it's not heavily trafficked for the most part back in that, those days, like, you know, midweek type of thing. And he reports that his car started having mechanical problems. So he 
pulled over and he's like, you know, gets out of his vehicle and he lifts the hood up. He's going to lift up the hood. And the next thing you know, there's this huge light on him. It's very much, very reminiscent of Richard Dreyfus in Close Encounters of the Third Kind yeah. when he's at the railroad crossing, right? And he's like waving people on. And he looks up and he sees over his head what looks like, I'm going to say more of a delta shape, like a, like a semi-triangle, and this big center light hitting him in his car. This is like around midnight. The next thing he knows, he wakes up in his car. It's about 3 in the morning. He's got a splitting headache. He has no idea what happened. His car is now on. His radio's blasting, and he doesn't know anything. You know what the heck just happened? You know he figured maybe he just passed out. Uh, maybe everything was just a dream. He goes home. You know, goes throughout his his life. But from that point forward, he is experiencing nosebleeds, like mm-hmm. he's ne- he's never had them before. He'll wake up and his just blood all over his pillow. He's complaining about high-pitched noises. They're hearing high-pitched noises in their ears. Um, he's complaining about missing time. Mm-hmm. You know, when he has certain appointments and all of a sudden missing time goes on. That is your classic abductee. That is what happened to this gentleman. But most people did not want to come forward with full names. They just gave uh, general information because the subject was so taboo mm-hmm. um, you know everybody's like oh put your tinfoil hats on so most people back then wouldn't be reporting it but the people that did come forward did so because they thought they were losing their minds and there were there were a lot more reports coming through via uh, mental health individuals yeah on an anonymity Ugh, I'm saying that word wrong um, you <laughs> anonymity. know saying, well we've had a I've had a patient and a, yeah <laughs> it's a long night. Um, and, you know, they would say, well, we have a patient, he's a male this, this age, you know, 40 years old, who had this experience. And most, you know, practitioners would think, okay, it's stress-related. Uh, they have, like, a little bit of a nervous breakdown. But as more reports come in, that's how investigators are born. Yeah. And some of these, these psychiatrists are, were starting to investigate things. There was a great uh, book out called Night Siege. And that book was uh, written by Phil Imbrogno, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who was the uh, the guy who was responsible. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what got me into UFOs, like, recently, man, is I binge-watched Project Blue Book, and then yeah. I got into Hynek and Jacques Vallée. Yeah, they were going a while ago. Yeah. Um, Jacques Vallée is, is big on all this stuff. Yeah. There are other people that are, you know, are connecting not only – Kind of connecting the the entities to that the craft, not in the reverse, like craft to entities. Um, Zachariah Stitchin is one of them. He's an interesting individual, talking about the Anunnaki, which are these this race of of beings from a planet X, and basically starting you know seeding the planet, and that gets into a totally different ballgame, well away from where we are <laughs> on uh, upstate New York. Um, you can talk about hours for that, or you can watch Ancient Aliens, too, because um, yeah, they, they love Zachariah, Sitchin, and stuff. But what's really interesting is if we go back to the authors of the book, you know, and Dr. Hynek himself specifically, he was brought on to Project Blue Book to debunk everything. Mm-hmm. The government was like, look, you're going to debunk this. This isn't real. And he was like, yeah, I'm all in on that, you know. 
because he didn't believe it was real. Being a scientist, it can't be real. You know, people are having mass hallucinations. This is all craziness. But as he starts going through the research, right, he's realizing this is 100% real. Yeah. But he can't do anything to say anything or or publicly. Right. He's working for the military. He signed – he probably signed a 50-year uh, non-disclosure agreement like where they'll probably kill him if he, if he says anything, and he'll lose everything. He can give you basic scientific data and some information, but he couldn't really go all out there until later on, around the 80s. He helped co-author this book, Night Siege. But Phil Imbrogno was a local guy in the area, and he literally went out and investigated everything with us from all these different sightings for all along the corridor of Route 84 in Hudson Valley, to town of Pinebush, there's a cemetery that has light beams that come out from the ground and then craft appear above the above it. Um, the craft appear above it and shoot light down into it. Again, bases that may be underground or in water, which would yeah. become uh, um, uh, submersible objects. So Phil has been. I mean, I think he's great and I think he's accurate. Okay. Problem is, he must have gotten too close because they try to discredit him, saying that he never went to MIT and he didn't do this and he's full of this. So he backed out really quick. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what they did to a gentleman named Bob Lazar, who worked yeah. at Dreamland, absolutely, you know, Area Fifty One, and they said, yeah, they got rid of his credentials and people. He never went to you know again MIT or these other places, and the government can do that. The government can erase you in a heartbeat. Yeah, definitely. And then make your life miserable. But Phil Rand and 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 Bob Lazar, you know, he went and started doing other things, but he never really gave up. He defended himself, which was great. But one of the things getting back to Heineck is that I, I think he needed a way to let everybody know that this is real without mm-hmm. losing his credentials. And something that took place recently with the U uh the A tip stuff that was going on where yeah. uh, Congress was they were try- like, you got to tell us what's really going on here because we had a Tic Tac UFO and some other UFOs buzzing our military bases and, we, you know, it's a national security threat, right? So they do this report and everybody that's, well, a lot of people in the UFO community were, were calling for disclosure. Yeah, definitely. Where the United States government discloses, hey, we have aliens, we made a deal with them, um, Eisenhower made a deal with them, uh, we've been reversing the technology and we are 500 years ahead of everybody. Right? That's what they wanted. And they didn't get that, though. Then, then no one's going to ever get that. No, but absolutely not. I contend, well, it's really interesting. I contend that disclosure did happen, but it happened in 1977. And that was when a, a movie was put out by Steven Spielberg called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Man. Great movie. If you've never seen it, oh, I beg you to watch it. Yeah, definitely. And Heineck worked on that movie, didn't he? Well, yes. And here's the key here. So the basic premise is people are having these images in their head of of this mountain and being drawn to go to Devil's Tower. That's what it is. For some reason, they don't know each other, but they're all getting the same image and they're being drawn there. This is a classic alien type of process where you get abducted. Some people are given information subconsciously, and then you just go about your life like you never had that experience. But things start triggering, right? So they're, you know, it's meant to be released at certain moments when it gets triggered. Yeah. So all these people are going to this mountain, and the government knows that there's UFOs. They've been having sightings. 
So they put this big base on top of the mountain, and they're going to call it a UFO. Well, it's not a spoiler. You can see all these pictures of it anyhow. But when the mothership comes and these aliens come out, which happened to look like little gray aliens with big eyes that are really mm -hmm. thin, sound familiar, Whitley's Fever. Oh, um, and all these people are witnessing it. You know, all these military personnel, they're doing this protocol because they're going to swap, you know, human beings for aliens to work with. You understand what took place in the 50s, you know, in the 40s and 50s when we supposedly made an agreement with aliens. You're going to give us technology and we'll let you abduct people here and there. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's one of the agreements. So this is all playing out for you right now in 1977 on top of a, of a, a mountain. And when the craft opens up and all this stuff happens, who steps forward? Doesn't say a damn thing. Just that one center shot, like, you know, when Harrison Ford runs up and they get that really tight shot on him. Yeah. It's Dr. J. Ion Hynek. And he's just looking, takes his pipe out, and nods his head. Yep. That was disclosure. <laughs> yep. I love that. That is the only way you could do You know what I'm saying? Yep. So that's disclosure on this subject. This is the way of saying but I didn't say anything. But you appeared in the movie. You're not. Yeah, but I didn't say anything. Yeah. You exactly. know what I'm saying? It's a way to validate without, without losing your cred. <laughs> 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 without losing your your pension. I don't even know what it's called in the military, but you <laughs> yeah. know, that's what took place. So that was disclosure. That was the first part of it. And people like. I mean, the reason why I said disclosure is because it, it, that movie was a blockbuster around the world. It resonated with everybody. Yeah. Prior to that movie, prior to '77. We did have craft which appeared over the Capitol in Washington, D.C. that was reported in the news, but it wasn't reported properly and it didn't go global. So that's why I say 77 disclosures is disclosure. So they had Close Encounters of Third Kind, then they come out with a movie called E.T. Oh, yeah. The Extraterrestrial. You know, Spielberg did a lot of research on this, and I'm sure Heineck quietly gave him a lot of stuff without again you know ruining his clearance on that yeah so that was the start of all this real craziness of where we are today in, in the hudson valley a lot more people are seeing these craft everywhere and more and more people now thankfully in 2021 it's a lot more open it's become a public you know it's publicly on the news they've been talking about craft and they're giving it a lot more credibility so people don't feel the stigma associated with, well, I saw a craft, or, you know, pilots can now report these things, and now things are being investigated. Whether they're really being investigated, you know, Properly. that's a different story governmental-wise. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Speaking of investigated, around the Hudson Valley area, besides witness statements or eyewitness statements, uh, has there been any kind of physical evidence that has been collected? 100%. There are several reports throughout the Hudson Valley of craft coming down on fields uh, and property, cornfields, um, houses and homes. And there was one house in the Hudson Valley where a craft came down. It looked like an egg. And the craft comes down on, the, on these people's farm. And everybody's woken up and they're, they're witnessing it. It lands on almost like a tripod type of legs. And the family comes out on their porch picture you know, your typical midwestern wraparound porch farmhouse with like acres of corn and they report seeing the craft the egg come down a door opening and these small beings coming out looking around they're standing there watching them 
and the next thing they know, they watch the craft go back up and take off. And on the ground itself, the three tripod holes are, one, impressions in the ground, and two, whatever they were using, you know, as a propulsion system or something, permanently burnt the ground. So it's permanently there. Now, this is back in the 80s when people weren't really investigating investing, but samples have been taken from this spot and definitely ra radioactive up the wazoo. Mm -hmm. There is tons of radio uh, radioactive material in that, that, and to this day, nothing will grow there. That is nothing. wild. It's very wild. There, there are spots where this is very interesting, too. There are lakes that craft have been seen going down in, we're talking about a, a, a flying saucer-shaped craft, so a circular craft, lowering itself in one of the one of the local lakes up there in the Hudson Valley, and I believe it's near a Whaley Lake, is one of them. It shoots a beam. People watch this thing shoot another beam, like this blue light or something, into the water, and they see the water, you know, getting turbulent, mm -hmm. and they can feel it on the ground. The ground around the lake just starts shaking, and they're like, "What the heck's going on?" And it gets whatever it gets. I don't know how long the exact time is that it, it's there sucking this stuff up. And then it takes off. It disappears. And nothing, I mean nothing, no one's allowed to go on this lake because there's so much radioactive material near there that they can't. It's a hazard. Holy shit. And this lake filters into other little streams. So there's a cancer cluster now because of this craft coming in. There are people up in upstate New York that have had gotten so close to some of these crafts, it's almost uh, like radiation burns, like they had in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm -hmm. You know, literally their skin's falling off. People are dying of, th of thyroid cancer. And this is all after they've seen these crafts. So there is a lot of evidence there. And of course, you know, you have the military come in, they take their, their, what they want. Then you have MUFON, who at one point, MUFON what is doing investigations. Those on-the-ground boots, on-the-ground research investigators are doing it. But it's become such a large bureaucracy yeah, that they're not focusing on what they really should be focusing at this point. And then the information gets sucked into the bureaucracy machine and no one knows what's, what happened to it. What do you mean we can't get the data? That's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's really, really messed up. Because people want answers. If you wake up and you feel like you're, you freak out in the middle of the night, you have these bad dreams, and you're, you think you're being abducted, you think you're going crazy. And it's a scary prospect of having something in your home that you, know, you can't do anything to stop. Yeah. So they want answers, but no one's giving them answers. And that was one of the precursors that when we investigate this, the paranormal as a whole, okay, mm -hmm. this whole you know, genre between ghosts and hauntings. I don't do anything demonic. Why not? Way above my pay grade. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> you know, but when we invest, well, it's, it's, look, you don't send a plumber to do heart surgery. Okay. That's true. <laughs> you don't want to get a heart surgeon. So we go and get like, you know, people that know how to handle this. That's what they're built for. They take care of it. Usually the warriors are St. Michael or Father Bob. You know, that's on the demon side. But what we found was that there are a lot of people that have questions. They mm -hmm. have a lot of people that have fear. There are a lot of people that they don't know what they have. They know something's wrong. And we, you know, my friend uh, and my partner in this, Al Sanrigo, we created the New York State UFO Project to ha be a grassroots, boots-on-the-ground organization that, one, you could report to in full confidence that we can investigate we're trying to get as much evidence as we can to get 
theories about, you know, and, and results, not just theory, but results of what these things are. Yeah. And also a place people can go and be with like-minded people in a comfortable atmosphere that no one's going to ridicule. So we, we created these two live meetings in New York State. One was in Yonkers, New York, and we would run it in the beginning of the month. And then at, towards the end of the month, we would run another live meeting in upstate New York in the Hudson Valley. Okay. And we started getting people to come there. And, you know, people that have been in the subject, they believe everything, they're on board. But what we were really looking for are the people that are the scared people, the nervous people, the freaked out people. Because these people are the ones that need the help. And, you know, when you, when you go into a meeting and people are, are, you know, you've had an experience, you've been abducted by these little gray aliens, you know you've been abducted, you've seen some, you know, some crazy stuff. You're worried about the marks that you're receiving on your body. You don't know how they got there, you know, and so on and so forth. When you start sitting around a room and people are telling you that they have the same thing, but they're going into it, they're a little bit freer, it makes you feel better as a person saying, I am not going crazy here. Yeah. We've had plenty of people that have come in and just said, oh, it's nice to see you. Thank you for having the meeting. And they go home. They feel better. It's like a support group. We've had people that have also, and I'll talk about them right now. I'm not going to give you names, that have had multiple abductions and it took them a long while, but they started talking to each one of us about what took place. Mm-hmm. And something very interesting, uh, this was pre-COVID, just before COVID started in, in this world. We had a meeting in Red Hook, New York. We had a woman that came in, and she lives in upstate New York in the Catskills. And she has young children. She has a very a very young child and a, like a teen daughter. She lives in a, a community. And one day, the, the sun keeps coming and drawing these really amazing pictures of what look like reptilians. That is a, a, an alien, which looks like a dinosaur, but is bipedal, standing upright, you know, has the scales, the face. Think of the TV series V. I don't know if you remember that one. Mm-hmm. And so he's drawing these, these reptilians. He's drawing uh, like what looks like himself with these reptilians in the stars. And the mother's like, this is interesting. Where is this coming from? And one day... The son comes up to the mother and says, you know, you're not my real mother, but I still love you. Whoa. Yeah. And she's like, uh, excuse me? You know, like, what do you mean I'm not your real mother? No, I know who my real mother is. She lives up there and points up to space. But you really are. I still love you as my mother. What? So he's been telling what he just told his mother is that she's a stepmother. Because his real mother is as reptilian. <laughs> and he, he eventually goes into it. My real mother is reptilian and I'm a reptilian and I, you know, those are my people. And this, this kid's like three, four years old. And the woman, she swears up on a stack of Bibles. She goes, I never watched any of this stuff. I don't let them watch any of this stuff. I don't even let them go on YouTube and watch this stuff. There's no way he should know this. And he's drawing star charts and the whole thing. And we find out over time, this, you know, opens up and they get more open with it and with us. And basically he is being abducted on a daily basis by reptilians. They're coming into the home and they're abducting them and the daughter and what they are are called hybrids and they're there and their true home is in, you know, reptilian land and their mother was the surrogate for the hybridization. Okay. And not only that, but their mother starts doing research and she starts noticing certain things about the people in the community she lives in upstate in the Catskills. Picture like a, it's not really like a gated community, but it's like a cul-de-sac area there where people start to know each other. Hey, Bill. Hi, Bob. Hi, Cindy. You know, how is this? Well, 
she starts noticing and seeing some weird stuff taking place because now she's on the radar. She's looking for things, and she's noticing slits in eyes. Split second, but a slit comes in the eye. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, excuse me? She goes, well, you know, you'll take somebody by surprise, and they'll turn around to you, and they have, like, that slit in the eye like a, like a reptile. Mm-hmm. And then when you, you, you kind of, like, blink, and it's, then it becomes a regular eye again. And apparently she lives in a community, and she's scared out of her mind, mind you filled with reptilians so let me ask you this though like when she found this out this being the day and age of technology did she set up any gopro cameras or any kind of surveillance to try to monitor no and i'll tell you why that did not happen yes she thought about stuff like that she was told to not interfere by her children so we know that they know that you know and they don't want you to do anything Hmm. it wouldn't be good so she needed to get some clarity and help on this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's when she made contact with my partner in crime in this house in Riga. And we invited her to the project, you know, the meeting. And it's through the meeting that she, I mean, it took us a while to let, you know, for her to open up because she feared for her safety as well as her kids, you know, Yeah, for sure. But to the point where, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I remember the first time she came to one of our meetings. Now, it's in a coffee shop. Picture a railroad type of, of shop where you walk in and there's plenty of space and at the back of the counter. And this guy, Joe Moscato, owned it. And it was called the Enchanting Cafe. And he always had metaphysical stuff there and poetry readings and all this stuff. And he allowed us the time to meet there. A win-win for everybody. So I created posters for, for our group, you know, a big, uh, you know, that we would hang up. New York State UFO Project, I created a poster with about eight different types of, of aliens that you can encounter, common aliens. And then I created these eight foot long, because I went by the size of the actual what a cryptid would, you know, what these aliens were. Gray, because there's different size grays. There's small, medium, and very large. And a reptilian. And the reptilian was the one that, as soon as you walked through the door, it's staring you in the face. And she walked through that door, and you could feel her skin falling off. She was just unhappy. One of the reasons why is, before coming, when she was, was looking and she saw the slits, they made uh, an appearance to her one night. She believes, she doesn't remember it, but she woke up scared out of her mind, basically telling her, you need to stop investigating this. It is what it is, and just leave it alone. So when she walked through the door, she was scared out of her mind. And she said, can you take that poster down? And, of course, we did. Um, we don't want to you know, offend anybody. But she was very upset and uncomfortable with it. These are the things that we're investigating. We have reports of that. We have another report of a woman who her grandmother has been abducted. Her grandmother told that the aliens came and took her. Her mother, herself, her daughters, the whole series, like, like five generations are being abducted. I've heard that. I've actually heard that generational type experiences. Yeah. And there's a, there's a reason for it, in my opinion, through what I do and the research-wise. Before all this other stuff that I'm going to tell you comes out, they, it comes out that, that women, a lot of women are being abducted. They remember seeing being brought into a room and being presented with a child that looked partially like a human, but partially like a gray or an alien. Big eyes, big blue eyes, blondish hair what have you, and they felt that they knew this child, but they didn't know this child, and eventually they come to feel that this is their child, and it's a product of an interaction or hybridization between humans and 
that specific alien race. These children that are born like this and then sometimes interact back into society through the aliens are called star children. And, you know, they're here to give us gifts and they're super intelligent kids. I mean, beyond intelligent, well above uh, any type of intellectual of most adults. And it's a hybridization of both an alien race, whatever that race may be, and humans. And that could be between aliens and greys, aliens and reptilian, alien and prey mantis, alien and Nordics, which look like, you know, like they come from, you know, Valhalla. Uh, <laughs> you know, and yeah, you know, this is what's going on. They're being. This is why there's multiple abductions. Yeah, because they're following the bloodline and they're going to it. Now, the prevailing theory is that um, a lot of people that get abducted have Rh negative blood. Okay, so you're either positive negative on your blood, so you're either uh, B positive B negative. Yeah, and Rh negative would be negative. So, so they said, oh, most people that get abducted are Rh negative. Well, most people that not only get abducted or Rh negative in the process have had sperm taken or eggs taken and this crossbreeding taking place, they're all Rh negative. So everybody thinks it's, oh, if you're Rh negative, you're the one that's getting abducted. I actually believe that it's not the Rh factor, be it negative or positive, it's the blood type. And basically, if, and I'm trying to figure out a way to get some data on this to kind of prove it, I think. Any type of blood type that is very rare, like O and A, like the negatives, mm -hmm. those individuals are getting more abducted because O is a universal donor but can only receive so much, right? It's, it's a very rare type of blood type to have. And I think there's, there is importance in that factor that it's to giving, but it's so holy that it only can take from itself. It's really hard to explain, but uh, on a scientific level, that's like a holy grail type of thing. I'm not going to throw Jesus into it, but it's it's an important factor. And what I've discovered is that through different interviews, from reading interviews to being interacting with individuals who have had multiple abductions, these people start getting these messages of why they're here and why they were chosen. They're chosen because these different alien races that exist, and there's over hundreds of them, their race is dead. They've done things in their world and have literally on the border of extinction. And the reason why they're at Earth right now is because we have untainted DNA, and they have, you know, the regular DNA strand, but there's also a junk DNA factor yeah. to it as well. And what they're doing is, you know, it's like a gold mine. Like, we can use your DNA to create new and continue our race. And that is basically what is the reason why people are being abducted. Hmm. It's not to help mankind or this world or this planet. It's not to get us into some kind of galactic federation, which a lot of people think does exist. It is literally a selfish act of my race is dying and I want it. I don't want it to. I'm going to, we're going to continue it. And that's what's taking place right now, hmm. which is pretty intense. If you think about that, you know, they're at a point where we're going. Do you think that has anything to do with the government actually disclosing information? No, you see, the government didn't disclose anything. They just confirmed what other people were saying, basically, right? They said, yeah, we don't know what it is, and we'll look into it. And I think the government very, knows very well what it is. Yeah, agreed. Um, not only that, uh, somebody you may want to eventually talk to about the subject is a friend of mine. His name's Derek Tyler. He's a multiple abducted individual. 
He's been abducted not only by a variety of different alien races, mm -hmm. but he has also been abducted by the U.S. military. Oh, really? Yes. Um, the U.S. military has um, been able to back-engineer all this stuff and create their own type of drones. Really? 100%. They have their own gray aliens, which, and the small, I was talking about small grays. Small grays are called extraterrestrial biological entities, EBEs, and they are worker bees. They are drones. You tell them what to do, they do it. And they have these uh, uh, innate abilities to be able to travel through material, you know, like doorways, walls, whatever it is, and literally make you that in the same components to travel right through the wall and take you into the craft. He wrote a book a while ago called Alien Contact, The Difficult Truth. And in that book, he goes into detail about a variety of different alien races and their general purpose of why they're here. I've researched it before, even before talking to him about it, and he just confirmed that they're here to save their ass, and that's the bottom line. Um, they want to save their planet or their race of people, and it's not that they want to take over the Earth. They just they need us to get that process going, and they aren't the only ones. It's not just gray aliens. It's, reptilians are having the same problem, except reptilians are very, very smart, super, super high IQ. They have a disdain for humans, mm -hmm. and... Given the opportunity, they would take over the Earth because that you know when you that kind of uh, intellect and and strength and ability, like they're not inferior. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, no, dude, you, you guys are food technically, you know, but they need us too. Yeah. So Derek goes into the, you know, and it's funny when I had him on my show to talk about it, he said, look, read just these three chapters first, and I don't get really scared about anything. Yeah. Life is what it is. But after reading these three chapters, they really unnerved me because Derek goes into what he saw with taking place uh, on, on the alien side of the spectrum okay. and what he experienced. And this is stuff that's also being, you know, this is, you're hearing the same thing from people in the Hudson Valley of having these experiences of, of, you know, waking up in terror because they remember their eye, you know, something being put into the retina of their eye to be probed or to be seated for whatever reason. He's remembering all these experiments they're doing on him. And he goes into detail to the point where a normal person would have gone mad if they, if they experienced this. I mean, yeah. Just imagine you wake up and you have no control and something's cutting into your you know, or shoving something so far up into your nostril to the pineal gland that you're in absolute agony and pain. And then you wake up, you have a nosebleed, and you're like, what the heck just happened? I mean, it would freak you out. And this is the reports also that, that are, you know, a lot of people who have been abducted in the Hudson Valley are saying the same thing. Women are getting uh, embryonic fluid taken long before anybody knew to do that. They take the embryonic fluid of a pregnant woman and just to do tests on it so they can see genetically if everything's all right. Mm -hmm. Derek was talking about, you know, some of these people, if they had a failure in that process, these people weren't just sent home. They were incinerated. And that's why you have missing people hmm. that have connections to aliens. So, I mean, it gets very complex. That is pretty interesting, though. I, I apologize I'm a little bit all over. That's how complex it is. Is so many multiple pieces taking place that if you don't just break it down into little tidbits or sections of what's taking place, you can't understand how how vast this 
I guess it's a problem, technically, if you're being abducted against your will. Like I said, people want to romanticize stuff, but this isn't romantic. You know, being violated (laughs) is never romantic. No, (laughs) no, it's not. No, it it doesn't matter even, you know, like... (laughs) Even if you're with your your wife or you know, whoever your spouse is, and like, what the hell just happened here? Oh, Dirty Sanchez! No, 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 no. no. Um, so there's some really weird shit going on, and that's the problem. You know, it's not this romantic like we're going to travel to the stars and fly a fighter and kill everybody or save you know Hoth. Yeah, <laughs> there is an agenda here, and it's basically to use human beings as a breeding ground to expand the life and the the species of these individual species. Yeah. When was the last report of stuff going on around your area? How recent? Uh, We were filming for an independent uh, film crew, and I actually met him on Saturday, last Saturday, at the fair. And he showed me a video. He took it up in Scarsdale, New York, during the day, craft. And basically what he said was, he's watching this thing. It was a little uh, metallic. Um, and it would change its shape. It would change its form from a, like a dot into like a parable to a, a bigger circle. And then he said in a split second, he saw this big black or I don't know how to describe it. It looked like a little hole, black hole open up. Split second and something came out. And he videotaped it and then he pulled some frames off it. This was just in May, the end of May of this year. Less than a month ago, I was driving home from doing some errands with my, my youngest daughter in Westchester. And I get up to a certain point and it was like seven, seven o'clock in the evening. I'm driving over to try to get back home on this highway. And I see, and I just look up at the sky, you know, as I'm driving, because I'm at a vantage point where I'm kind of coming up a hill. So I get a little bit better view of the sky that's there. And it's kind of like the sun's kind of setting, get some great lighting. The next thing I know, I see this little bright dot, silver object. It's there. And I'm watching it for a split second, and then it moves a little bit, and then it just disappears, flakes out. Then it pops back up, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm not in a position to stop anyplace, and I don't have any of my cameras with me so I can record this. So I call my buddy, and I tell him, listen, Al, this is what I saw. As I'm talking to him about what I saw, I start getting a ringing in my ear. That is, you know, like when people, oh, someone's talking about me type Mm -hmm. of ringing. That's the ringing I get. And... This was the beginning of August, I think. And that night was a very weird night because in my apartment, I actually started to feel uncomfortable as I was getting ready to go to bed. And I just, I felt like somebody was watching. I felt like somebody was here. I don't recall any missing time. I just woke up the next day and never nosebleeds, but I felt something else was taking place. Like I was made aware of that. This object's here. You may be having a visitation later. So they happen on a daily basis in the area. And it's, you know, there's a great video I have on the New York State UFO project. We put some stuff on it. We're, you know, we started a, a YouTube channel where we're trying to throw some stuff on there that we can throw. I always throw stuff that I capture. And I caught video from not that long ago um, of an object for a bunch of minutes. And you can literally see it transform into different shapes. And at one point on the video, as I'm videotaping for a while, while my kids are doing softball practice with some other kid, I see something that looks like a fly that comes in the lens. You know, it's a little black thing, split second, it goes away. But when I stopped that video at that point, it wasn't a fly. A cra- another craft appeared, and it had this, tri- not triangle, um, a rectangular back end of, of a ship. And it was all, like, pinkish, 
glowing. And you could see like this energy field around it. And almost like it looked like a landing bay. And I was just blown away by this. This was happening broad daylight, probably four o'clock in the afternoon. Van Cortland Park, where my kids went down. I had to bring them down to this park so they could practice for softball. And boom, there's a craft right overhead. And three other you know, parents that were there with their kids, they watched it. It was bizarre. But in the area, the area always has some kind of uh, a UFO activity. Why do you think it's so strong there? The area from New York State, throughout New York State, it has one of the largest sets or grouping of these stone chambers. And they look like root cellars, okay? But root cellars with 12-foot-long by, you know, one-foot-high stones built chambers. They're called the stone chambers. And they pockmark the land all through the Hudson Valley, and they go into Connecticut and up into New England, and they kind of stop at a place in New Hampshire, which you may have heard of, called American Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. And an American Stonehenge run, run by a great guy, Dennis Stone. They're carbon dating this thing back 3,000, 4,000, even you know, longer years. And the interesting factor about these stone chambers is most of them are astronomically aligned. There's a, a slight radiation field around the area. There's a magnetic anomaly throughout just in these stone chamber areas there. And here's something very interesting. We happen to have a stone chamber on one of the roads up in near Carmel, New York. Okay. Another area that had numerous Hudson Valley sightings and numerous, I'm going to say like big craft, but also orbs, balls of light that appear and they're in the forest and they happen to be around these, these stone chambers. We went into a stone chamber. We were there during the summer. And, of course, it's like 95 degrees outside. You walk into the stone chamber, and it's, it cools down immediately, right? Perfect. You would think normally, oh, it's a root cellar, right? Hunters or natives, you know, they go out. They kill some deer, throw it in there. They store it for winter. It's good to go. Well, here's the problem. When you walk into one of the stone chambers, the one I'm talking about, the ceiling is about 8 feet tall. The room itself is probably... Uh, 10 feet by 12 feet, okay? In the back of the wall is a huge, huge rock that, fill, you know, is the center point of the chamber. And you're looking at the rock, and you can, you can take, go right up to the rock and look at everything on it with the naked eye, and you'll see nothing. But if you throw a UV light on it, or you throw a black light on it, it reveals runic writing, and it's four letters. And mm. it's, it's, it was... Um, Fire, it was like the element, and I, I was blown away by that. And as one of the experiments we do with a lot of things, we play around with tone and uh, sound and frequency. And I had my FLIR camera going, and I started ramping up the energy in that, in that chamber with a, a Tibetan singing bowl, like sending vibrations out there, tones. And my hand to God, this is well before Skinwalker Ranch came out with this. What you start seeing is you start seeing this purple area, like circle, purple haze. You know, little Jimi Hendrix is going on there. <laughs> start forming in this area, and we keep going, and I'm like, it literally looks like a portal is opened up. And you can hear us. It's, again, on, we actually have that on the Bronxville Paranormal Society uh, nice. YouTube. You can hear it, and at one point, while I'm filming this, I see something peeks into it, it's just me and my buddy Al in the chamber. No mm -hmm. one, I mean, this is off the side of the road. No one's there but us. Peeks in and then peeks back out. And 
we immediately, you know, we, we, we filmed for a, a bit, but then we had to stop. It was starting to get intense. There was what looked like a portal that opened up in there. I'm going to watch that. We well, fast, you know, I don't know if you watch that Skinwalker Ranch stuff that's on, it was on like Discovery Channel. But in this season's episode, they brought a rabbi in to say prayers. And one of some of the, the rabbinical prayers, some of the things that, that, that they can do is they talk about opening up portals. And they literally, as the rabbi started chanting and doing the service for the portal opening, they have a fleer on the on the, the building where they think the portal is. And exactly what happened on our fleer happened on that. The temperature dropped dramatically. It was like a purple ring was around it, and then it started getting black on the center. Everything that was taking place in that, I mean, my buddy called me up, did you see that? Did you? I'm like, yep, <laughs> I got it. I, dude, we were there long before them. <laughs> So, crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, but this is the cool part about it being investigated here. So we think, and well, I think, I, I don't want to speak for Al, he's not here on this. I think that a lot of these locations that pockmark have an ability to be almost like a portal or a teleporter from point A, let's say Carmel, New York, to up in New Hampshire, the stone chambers up there. Mm-hmm. And we're doing more research. We're working now with we're doing a lot more environmental research around the area, background stuff, as well as change, you're playing around with tones and seeing if we can open a portal. Now, yeah. the problem we're going to have is, okay, great. We opened a portal. Do you want to do rock, paper, scissors to who goes in it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because we don't know where that goes. Yeah. I've seen Stargate, right? man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I worked <laughs> with a guy that was ball on Stargate, you know, unfortunately Cliff passed away this year. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I want answers, but, you know, I've got obligations here that yeah. i got to take care of. Yeah, for um, sure. And, you know, how do you explain to your wife, listen, you know, <laughs> we, we jetted back to 23rd, okay, <laughs> come on, you know, or whatever, or forward. And she's like, yeah, right, okay, whatever, you know. So we're, we're working on some, we're going to try some other ideas, uh, maybe like with a wire, wireless Wi-Fi camera and see yeah. if we can throw it into the portal and see what happens. That would be cool. I think that if we're able to open this up and really get like a real portal, like you're opening up like a little like window and stuff, I think that would be freaking cool. But of course, when we posted it, someone would say, oh, that's photoshopped. Oh, you know, of course. Yeah. That's CGI. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's CGI, right? Um, but this is why I think these craft are, were very interested in the area because they knew these things existed. Okay. There's a lot of stuff. We know scientifically in this world, we had some great minds there. You know, you have Einstein, you got Edison. One of the greatest is Tesla. I mean, oh, Tesla course. blows them all away. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy was really introverted, but I'm sure he was a good partier. Uh, Absolutely. You know, <laughs> you know, oh, I think that guy partier, you know, he was taking uh, and getting involved in stuff that was crazy. Like, you know, maybe the uh, chasing the green fairy and stuff. Um, but, <laughs> you know. Tesla told you everything about it. Three, six, nine, energy, frequency, resonance, vibration. Yeah. If you knew all about that, you know you'd have the keys to the world. What if these craft, and I believe also not only extraterrestrial, but they can go interdimensional. What if we can go interdimensional? What if we can open a portal right now? Think about this. And I can go from New York to wherever the hell I want to go in an instant. Yeah. That's what I think is going on here. I think there are certain things that these craft are aware of, and these are almost like... Uh, mileposts for them to know how to go point A to point B to point C. And along the way, they're doing 
their due diligence and research. They're picking up people here and here and here and seeing what the difference is in locations, who has better genes, who has better DNA, who has better junk DNA, and who they can use to advance their race. I could get on board with that. There's a certain similarities that are taking place in abductions. You know, the tests being done. Everybody always points to, you know, always say, oh, the, the, uh, what did they, the anal probe you? You know, and they, they make fun of it. But there's a purpose behind it medically. And they teach it in medical school, too, when you're checking a prostate, that the reason why the probe is actually used in these situations is, you know, is to actually gather sperm. Because there is a point where... Uh, during prostate exams, if you if you go to the wrong side, um, it will trigger an orgasm. Yeah. So what? A, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they're doing that to men. But to women, they're harvesting their eggs. This is the really interesting point. We've had people that have come in, and it's women, and they're young, and it's always the same pose. They're kind of like I don't know how they do it, but women have a way of taking their arms and just wrapping it around themselves mm-hmm. in a protective thing over their their midsection. And when you talk to these people in confidence, they say, I felt as if I was, I was pregnant. And I don't have anybody. I haven't had you know, relations with anybody in a long, long time. There's no way. You know? yeah. But I know I was. And this is a violation. You, know, you can't just do what you want to somebody against their will. Take the child that you create with their egg and just do what you want and think, oh, that's okay. Yeah, you know, sure. but this is what's happening. We're, we're meeting abductees like this. Men are, are so much easier. We, we help create the child, but we don't know what it's like to have that physical living thing growing inside you. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's a connection there that is, you know, a bond that you'll, you can't get anyplace else. And women know when this, this is a, a problem, you know, so we try to help them out, but that's what's going on. That's why these, these beings are doing what they're doing. And I think, the Hudson Valley, rich in minerals, energy, resources, uh, both you know natural, even stuff. Uh, minerals, when combined, can you know create something else. You know, some other element. That's why they're traveling this area. Man, I can for the see most that. part, that's why this has always been a hot spot. Interesting. You know, there's other hot spots around there. You know, but it's really prevalent here. Things are coming to light. In the, in the last couple of years in so many different ways. Thank God for all these uh, YouTubers and podcasters. People are throwing up stuff they think is cool, right? They'll hear about it. Oh, I heard about this Glimmer Man or the Slimmer Guy or whatever. If you start watching, not all of them, I'm not recommending you watch everything, but sometimes people hit on something and you know when you watch one video, it reminds you of another video and there is a lot more connections involved. And a lot of these connections are coming to light now um, yeah. in why, why this is taking place. Um, it's, just, it's just an interesting thing to look at. No, it definitely is. I mean, you have reports in your area. Why did you get involved in the Hudson Valley thing, if you don't mind me asking? In my area, not so much. I'll, and if there is, nobody's reporting on them. But the Hudson Valley thing was kind of a kind of a chain reaction type deal because, you know, I'd always been kind of into UFOs. I covered, uh, you know, the Travis Walton case, and then oh, yeah. I covered a couple other things. I I actually did an episode on Project Seventeen Ninety Four and uh, the Avro cars and stuff like that. And yep. after that, I kind of got into it, and I binge watched. Sounds ridiculous, but I binge watched. <laughs> 
Project Blue Book, and I was super intrigued. Yeah. So I started researching further, and I had heard um, the comedian Joey Diaz. He was talking about on a podcast talking about the Hudson Valley UFO shit. Yep. He is swear like adamant. He's like, no, dude, you don't understand. Thousands upon thousands of people saw this shit and you don't ever hear about it. So I started looking into it and then I started uh, looking into, well, not so much looking into yet, but I started just basically jotting down some names and some dates of individual encounters and sightings during that time frame in the 80s because i think there's what like a four or six year time frame where it was yeah, just fucking is. insane man it's almost the whole decade had it started it started in the beginning of the 80s very very quietly come like 83 84 up to like you know 89 yeah it just started to explode i yeah. mean it was like you, you gotta understand where i am because my mother was a teacher she had the summers off, so she worked at a sleepaway camp in Connecticut. So we got to go to camp for free. Woohoo! Good, good for Yay. people that don't make that much money, right? <laughs> yeah. So I used to, I used to drive. I, I know that corridor, and every time I used to drive up there, I'd look for stuff, you know. And as you get away further, further away from cities, you get less light pollution, so it gets better, better viewing. I've seen as a kid up in that summer camp, I saw something fly by, and it was myself and about seven people from my bunk. There was a full moon to the left. You know, one of those bright country moons that light up the road. You don't even need car lights to drive, right? You know what I'm talking about. And this fire thing, it looked like a half dollar on fi- on flames flying from the right, only left. And we were like, look at that. It's a UFO. It wasn't no meteor. It was about the same size as the moon. And it was perfectly circular. And it was on fire. And then it just disappeared. Hmm. And, of course, later that year, we had people in camp that had a, they went up to some mountain there and they had a craft come down. They saw, they heard the high pitch hum and the sounds, and they saw this big metallic craft over their head. You know, that's in the Hudson Valley corridor. Fast forward to the 90s, when I was dating the girl that I was dating, she was working in a camp, in, and I eventually married. She was working in a camp in Waterbury, Connecticut, and my camp was up near Torrington, Winstead. So what, it, was, it was July 4th weekend, one of those long weekends. And I said, look, I want to go up there. My birthday's that weekend. I'm going to go to do, uh, you know, I want to hang out with some of my friends from this camp. I've spent my whole life with these guys, you know, really good people. You, you make a camaraderie with these, these people. So we start driving up this Route 8, and she's sitting in the car, and I'm, I'm in an Acura Integra. You know, I've got the moonroof out. I'm doing 70 miles an hour. No one's on the road. Perfect stars in the sky, clear as anything. And she's looking. I'm like, what are you doing? She's, like, bouncing around looking at something. And I said, what, is, what are you doing? She goes, what's that? It looks like there's something hanging on a string. So I look down the distance, I see those, you know, those radio towers you have yeah. where it's they're really long antennas and they have about three or four lights on them red mm-hmm. so planes don't hit them. So I said, I said, oh, that's just a radio tower, right? So the radio tower is straight up and then the radio tower starts to tilt to the left and tilts again. And now it's level. So it's level with in the same uh, as, as the, the earth and it starts coming at us. So me being the UFO guy, like, holy crap, this is getting freaking good, you know? And this thing starts floating. Not a sound. We shut the radio off. Not a freaking sound. And it starts hovering over our car. She's hanging out the moonroof. And this craft, I, I, my hand to God, it was bigger than Giant Stadium in New York. And it's over our car, not making a sound. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the road, looking at that. And I'm saying in my head, stop the car, Brian. Stop the car. But for some reason, I didn't. 
and I think it was a good thing because I don't think it would have turned out really well for us actually at that point. That's yeah. I think that's the sixth sense kicking in. I looked back down and saw another headlight coming from the other side of the road, distracted for like you know five seconds. I looked back up, it was gone. I jammed on the brakes in the middle of this roadway, <laughs> got out of the car, and we looked around. It was gone in an instant. Damn. Didn't go peek behind a mountain. It was totally gone. And to this day, she says it was a weather balloon. <laughs> so, you know, and, and this is what I love about when I investigate. I love having a non-believer or someone that has never seen it before or doesn't believe it because then you get – it's not an I tell you so moment. It works out well because they try to – you can see the gears working. Like, what the hell was that? And they, they start spitting it out, and, you, you know, you're writing the notes down and stuff. It really does help you out. You know, when, mm -hmm. when you have someone with you on that. But that whole area there is just insane. I, I don't think I've ever told you this one. Um, if you want to talk about Hudson Valley UFO and abduction and some weird crap, we did, in 2015, we went up to a specific lake, and I, I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I want to... Yeah, we uh, we're still doing investigations there. We don't want what's there harmed or have a problem mm -hmm. with it. This lake had... A, Always had high strangers near it. You know, native native uh, stories about weird things happening and light beings and fairies and strange animals. And uh, my partner Al lives near the area, and he he's been there a couple of times, and he's getting uh, bipedal cryptid. Uh, yes, Bigfoot. Okay, in the area. So we decided we're going to do a day night investigation, and. To get to this lake, you can't. It, it borders the Appalachian Trail, right? So you have a federal property, which is a federal lake park, and the Appalachian Trail goes through it. So you kind of can like be on it, but you're not supposed to be on it because of the Appalachian Trail. So we parked a quarter of a mile away. We hoof it down to get to the entrance. From the entrance to where the lake begins, and let me tell you, that lake was used at one point by United Nuclear Chem uh, United Nuclear Corp. And they were given special permission by the government to use weapons-grade material to create a new type of engine. Hmm. Yeah. They had a problem there. They had an explosion, a huge radioactive leak, but the government cleaned it up, and I'm winking right now. Yeah. <laughs> so this, oh, yeah. this lake has a lot of nuclear waste in it. Right. It's got alligator you know, bass that are about the size of freaking you know, Bigfoot. They, they come up, and they take Canadian geese and pull them down. Damn. Yeah, it's really weird, right? So here we go. We get to the entrance. We hoof it about a mile get to um, where the lake starts. And then we take this trail on the left side of the lake to go to the furthest point, And we're about two miles up at the top. And it's there's nothing else around you. There's no homes for miles. And we start our investigation there. And one of the things we do, I guess, with sound and resonance, we start ramping it up with Tibetan singing bowls. And you kind of feel this pressure start building. And we're going to, it's myself, Al, and a third person who is there to help to videotape. It's a friend of ours. He's going to be videotaping. And he has this live stream channel on YouTube. So he's videotaping the whole night. It gets so intense that when we call our psychic, who's in Arkansas, mind you, and she starts talking to us, it sounds like she has Bell's palsy. She can't speak. It's all muscled up like this, and you just can't hear a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So we said we'll call her back. We set in. You know, we do our experiments. We're getting the ground radiation readings. We're getting these Morse code type of sounds coming from the top of the trees. And I deduce that if we go back in time to when this explosion happened, 
and we count like how high the tree is from that point, it could be radi residual radiation readings, right? Because over time, trees and forests will grow, but as we pointed our dishes and our, our meters up, we're getting these real re weird readings. So that was what it is. Then we start hearing rock knocks, right? Mm -hmm. Two rocks hitting. Then we start hearing tree knocks, and it's getting darker, and you can feel the density happen. Well, <laughs> as it gets dark, we hear things rustling around, and we hear on the other side of the lake, which is, you know, we're in one part, part of it, we hear a couple of rock knocks. Then on our side, we hear a tree knock. We're like, okay, this is weird. The next thing we know, we, you can feel the footfall. You know, we, it sounds bipedal. Yeah. It's kind of like if you've ever gone, well, you're in the Midwest for the most part, I think. Um, oh, you ever go sure. to a, like an outdoor circus or you ever see a pop-up tent circus and they bring yeah. out an elephant? Oh, yeah. The ground kind of like, you can feel it. You can feel when it, it walks yeah. in. That's what it feels like. And the way we're situated, if you're looking at us, I'm sitting to the right. All the way to the left is this guy, Bill. And in the middle is my buddy, Al. We're separated probably by 10 feet in between us. And we're, we're, you know, Al's doing some stuff with a parabolic mic. And the next scene, you know, we hear something creeping up behind where Bill is. And without, a, without missing a beat, we get a bluff charge. And Bill gets up and he's ready to run. We held him off, hold the ground, hold the ground. So we, we formed a triangle. All I have is a machete. I don't have any firearms whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Dude, it's fight or flight. I'm not going into nuclear wasted water. Uh, if I go one way, it's a go trail. I'll get killed. The other way, I'll get killed. So I got to stay here. And like, what is this? And eventually, he stays the ground. It calms down a little bit. And we, we, we hang out. And it just stops. Nothing comes over the wall. Um, like, oh, wow, that's weird. It's a bluff charge. Maybe it's a bear. Right? No bear. Nothing. We, we hit it with a high-powered, super high-powered flashlight. We have infrared going. We have FLIR going. We get nothing. We go run over to the area. Nothing's there. We stand our ground. Next thing you know, my buddy Al goes, puts the parabolic mic on, and he's listening. And it's like, you know, getting light. And we hear the rock knock across the river. And the next sound thereafter is a whoop, whoop, and then a third whoop at the other end of the lake in an instant. It was such a loud whoop, it vibrated to my chest. Damn, dude. That's pretty I, I, It was a depends moment. Yeah, <laughs> it was. There was no place to go. You know, it was like okay. Yeah. Now, for my buddy out at the point, he goes, um, "I think there are people here." I'm like, "That wasn't any people. That wasn't any per person. That sounds exactly like, you know, the, the Sierra sounds from Ron Moorhead. That's Bigfoot whoops." We settled down for a little bit, and this creature goes from where we were, top of the lake, two miles up, to the other end of the lake, two miles in an instant. Hmm. This is when when. It was just incredible. We're like, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, definitely. We we still stay there for a little bit longer. Oh, yeah. We, we held our ground. And what I think transpired was there was, this was a Sasquatch, Bigfoot. There was some part of the clan on one side of the, the lake hitting the rock knocks. Can we go? That was the sound. Mm -hmm. It went whoop, 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 because there was three of us which said to them, don't even come this way. Take the long way home. Yeah. And because we held our ground, we, we, we sat there for about 50 minutes longer. And this thing, who could have killed us in an instant, for some reason didn't, got so pissed off that at the last moment it threw something. I heard it coming from behind me. It was a boulder. It hit the ground. It rolls and hits my chair. So I pop off my chair. So I'm like, okay, this is getting crazy right now. We stayed there a little bit longer, but once that chair got hit and I got knocked off, the pressure we felt in the air, like this intensity, just was gone. 
Yeah. It was as if you, you got uh, your kids on top of your chest and they just jumped off of you. So we all settled down and we said, you know what, maybe let's move, let's move to the next location. So we, we hook up our stuff or we pack up our stuff. And I, was, I have this camera. Specifically, it's an Olympus camera. It's good for scuba diving, mm-hmm. you know, low light. It does really great work about uh, getting flash-free uh, photography, perfect imaging, without doing anything to the, to the photo. It just captures it better. And we start walking. We, we walk into the next location. We're no more than, you know, 15 minutes away from the place. We have our headlamps on. We get to the top of the lake, and you can see out the whole lake. And the stars are beautiful. And I see this orange object in the sky, and it's on my right, and it's floating. It's going from the right to the left. And it looks like an old incandescent, you know, like helicopter lamp, you know, those yellowish ones a little bit, orangey yellow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's moving across, not making a sound. I'm listening for, you know, that after some kind of like sound from it, nothing. And without missing a beat, I go, what is that? And as soon as I point to it, everybody's looking. It stops going from right to left and it stops immediately and starts heading towards us. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, this is going to get good. So my buddy Al's in front of us. I'm in the middle and Bill's behind me. It comes over to us, and it's hovering in the sky, probably about 20 to 25 feet above us. And you hear this, this humming sound on it, like a mechanical and nothing else, every once in a while. And I, me being the smart person, instead of putting that camera in my backpack that I was, I said, Brian, don't be that guy that had an opportunity. So I put it <laughs> in my breast pocket. I took it out immediately, and I start videotaping it. And we're watching it. And on the video, again, Bronxville Paranormal Society on YouTube, you hear my buddy Aldo time check. And Bill says, 9.15. We are literally 10 minutes away from the next location. And we're watching this. So we turned off our headlamps, and I'm holding the camera up, videotaping it. And this thing hits us with a beam of light. All of us, we light this up. And then it stops. And then we're watching it a little bit longer. And the next thing you know, for some reason, we move on. We move on to the next location, right? Mm-hmm. So we set up at the next location. So it's 9.15 when the UFO is hitting us. We get to the next location. We set up. We do some stuff. It feels like it's 30 minutes. And my buddy Al says, look, let's go call Cindy, our psychic, and you know reconnect with her. And we call her up. And he goes, time check. And I look at my watch, and it's 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. We lost uh, two hours of, yeah. of time. Yeah. And we're like, what? That can't be right. Right. So, OK, whatever. We call her back and we're like, you know, it's not registering with us. Call her back. And we're at this bigger location, you know, like heading back out the, the way we came. But we're sitting, you know, standing there doing some more investigating. She goes, where were you guys? You know, what happened? We told her, like, well, we had an incident there. You're much clearer now. What's going on? And as we're talking to her for about five minutes, we hear like what sounds like a family. Seriously, a mother, father, and kids walking not that far away from our location, like coming off the trail at 12 midnight on St. Hollow's Eve, okay? Yeah. And we said, look, we hung up on Cindy, and we say, look, put your lights on so that when people see us, we don't scare this family because we all have machetes and it's three guys in the woods, you know? We put the lights on, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. No one shows up. So we're like, what the hell is going on? We call Cindy back, and we tell her what took place. She goes... Those people aren't there now. They're going to be there tomorrow. You're in a time-space rip. So we're like, what? And she starts explaining what's going on. She goes, you're probably seeing different things. You're going to see beams of light back and forth. We didn't. We told her about the craft we saw. She didn't even go into it. She just talked about what's taking place there. 
we investigate a little bit further, we see these different look like little gnomes or beings moving back and forth, which she told us. She said there's natives there, there's guardians of the forest, and we start seeing some of these things in the forest. And we're investigating, and then we videotape, but when we go to look at the videotape, literally catching all the stuff on video, the chip, which is one of those like SD cards, no mechanics mm-hmm. at all, doesn't pick up anything. Doesn't record. So there's nothing on the, the file. Yeah. It's getting late. We get all tired. We start walking out. And as we're walking out, we're like, ah, nothing happened. Right? Normally, we'll go for like the diner. We'll discuss like all the cool things that happened. We all act like, oh, this was okay night. You know, too bad nothing happened. Like nothing happened. Uh, <laughs> Al and Bill drive one way. <laughs> I drive back to the city. It's, it's pretty far up. I'm looking around, you know, a little bit on edge. Get home, mm-hmm. go to sleep, do my ritual, you know. My wife and kids are out. They went uh, the next day, Sunday. So I get up, and um, I notice that when I get up and get up from sleeping, I have this really weird taste in my mouth, a little metallic. And I I look at my mouth. My mouth is blue, like I ate a Smurf, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I hock up some, like, blue stuff, phlegm. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Call my buddy out. I'm like, dude, are you okay? He's like, uh, I said, I, I told him what I had. He goes, well, yeah, I have, like, this thing in my lip. It feels like there's something in my lip. I said, look. Call Bill and find out what if, if he's all right as well. So I hang up on him. Al calls Bill. And when that happens, my wife and kids walk in. And I'm standing there, you know, with my, my uh, what do you call it, the armor, armor, you know, shorts that I woke up and no shirt on. My kid's like, Daddy, what happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? What happened to you? Where'd you get those bruises? I got two bruises on my body. So my buddy <laughs> Al calls back and tells me Bill wakes up in the middle of the night screaming like bloody murder, you know, freaking out. Freaked out as, you know, he was staying at his mom's place. Freaked out as his mother. I mean, at this point, we know we have missing time. We start discussing. We start talking about going and getting regressed. And we all promise to do it together instead of separate, you know. And it's just another case of Hudson Valley abduction. And we have never gotten regressed from it, mind you. I, yeah. I sleep okay. I don't <laughs> need to regress something and open up a can of worms. But that's another case of why did they take us? What happened at that point that they needed to say, hey, let's pick up these three guys now, you know? So this is this is part of the course as, 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 you know, when you're talking about getting abducted on the weird cases, this is one of those weird cases. You have a Bigfoot, you got an abduction, you got strange creatures in the forest, and then you have all this crazy stuff there the day after. And the, let me tell you something. We contacted our psychic in Arkansas, and she woke up the next day, and she had, like, some weird marking on her arm. She never had before. She sent us photos. It was probably one of the most amazing nights ever, and I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened. That is fucking wild, man. Oh, yeah. Wild. When you tell people, they're like, it's just bizarre. Some, some people believe you. Some people don't believe you. I'm not here selling anything. I know yeah, what happened. Exactly. I don't have time for pardon expression. I don't have time for bullshit. Yep. I don't bullshit people. <laughs> I, I just don't. There's nothing I can gain by making bullshit up. Exactly. You know, I mean, I can make up whatever story I wanted to. You know, if I, I've been to a couple of you. I'm sure you can make up something better than I've that. I've heard bullshit coming from people. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I <laughs> you mean, know. you know, I would definitely float it somehow. But it, it was just, <laughs> it was one of the most intense moments I ever had researching this stuff because it was, I was all in at this point. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like, holy shit, I'm officially, you know, I, I popped my cherry. Um, you know, <laughs> I had the trifecta that night. But this is these are the cases that take place. And, you know, you sit there as an investigator, just think I'm, I'm more mentally prepared for what's going on and the possibilities. And mm-hmm. I'm still, like, like, perplexed by it. Just imagine someone that this literally doesn't want to have any of this shit happen to them. And the yeah. next thing they know, like, 
did some kind of owl come in and, and pull us out of bed last night? What the hell is yeah. going on? It'd be Am like I going a fucking crazy? nightmare. Well, that's the whole thing. I mean, yeah. I'm dealing with it right now with my, my young kids. Oh, yeah. Talk about nightmares. I was up all, all day today. You know, from I went to sleep last night, yesterday morning at 2 in the morning, and I woke up at 5 because my youngest was up, had the worst nightmare, and I was up all night from that point. Oh, you know? yeah. So just imagine that, but you're an adult. Fuck, <laughs> You know? Fuck that. Yeah, and you don't have enough alcohol in your house to, to get rid <laughs> of that problem. You know? Oh, man. Well, I tell you what, Brian, please tell everybody where they can reach you and how they can get a hold of you, man, and watch your videos. And No problem. So we have a different group for everything, but we'll answer all of it, no matter what group you hit us with. We're Bronxville Paranormal Society. We're the New York State UFO Project. We're the New York State Sasquatch Organization, and we also do, we're the North American Dogman Project New York State Chapter Directors. We are on every social media site you can think of. We um, have videos up of our, all our stuff, um, and we have hotline numbers for both groups. I don't remember them offhand because I don't actually call them. <laughs> you know, I just answer the <laughs> yeah. call. But hit us up on Facebook. You can PM me if you have an issue or you have a question or you want to call bullshit. You know, I don't care. I'm not here to sell you. We're here to help everybody. We don't charge for it. We keep everything confidential. And um, usually on Facebook mostly because uh, that's, I think, is mostly where everybody is. That's when I'm not being banned by Facebook for other things. So, <laughs> But just hit Same us up. And you, you know, <laughs> we'll get back to you. All right, Brian. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, and we'll have to do this again soon, man. You got it. It's been a pleasure, and I thank you for having me on. Hey, man, I'm just returning the favor. You had me on, so we're good to go. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> that was a little bit, little bit more less intense, but fun. You know. Oh, definitely. I love this shit, though, so, so it was all great. Good. Awesome, man. Oh, I'll yeah. talk to you later, but buddy. If you ever come up this neck of the woods. Oh, absolutely, dude. We'll take you yeah, if I ever get around that area, dude, you're going to be the first person I talk to. So. <laughs> cool. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you later, man. You got it. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye.